What's up? What's up? I hope all is well with our listeners today. Again, this is Zach Morrissey hosting Patio Cheers, and we are kicking off episode number one. This podcast is all about bringing a little bit of light to the stories of our average Joe compadres. We're hoping for a lot of laughs, a lot of new perspectives, and a few beers along the way. With that said, I want to welcome my first ever guest, the OG, the original guest, Brock Newhouse. Brock, what's good, my man? What you drinking tonight? Zach, pleasure to be here. You're really scraping the bottom of the barrel as far as first guests go. Um, tonight, I'm drinking Big Grove Brewery's Easy Eddie IPA. Wow, there's been a lot of hype about that. Iowa City, Iowa's best. Uh, they opened up a couple years ago, kicking out really good stuff. Uh, this is my personal favorite at the moment. All right, good deal. Give them a crack. Dive in. Sound good? Let's do it, baby. All right. So the background of how Brock and I know each other, we played together in high school baseball, uh, outside of high school, because Brock grew up on the east side of the state. Uh, went to Pleasant Valley High School. I went to Ankeny. Brock and I played together our senior year all on a perfect game select team, which just means that a bunch of kids that did not play football traveled around and played baseball at other schools around the country. We're hoping to get like one idiot to say, yup, that guy actually is good. And, it's worth. and that's all you can hope for. Because you're not like you're trying to sell them your best, just like a girl. Like you're you're not you know selling them what the real package is yet. They'll get to know it, but right now I just gotta show them what the best looks like, like the car at the front of the dealership. Right, exactly. Just get hot on one day and hope someone likes what they see. Yep. So Rock and I, we travel around with this team. Uh, we really don't get to know each other very well because. At the time, Rock, a top-notch player on our team. I am the last dude that makes the roster because one guy decided that he wanted to go play for Team USA in Taiwan, shout-out Keaton McKinney, rather than playing on this team. And then a couple other guys say the same. So they just keep knocking the guys off the team below, bringing them back up. And I get on uh, this team with Brock, and we travel around. Really don't like get to know each other again. Um, Brock pitches a lot on the Friday or Saturday, Friday nights or Saturday mornings. And then he's in, he's back in the car, heading back to Bettendorf. Dude, I was such a big, I totally big league the rest of the team. I was like, yo, show up on Fridays, maybe a Saturday if it's going to be a late weekend, throw my innings, get out of Dodge, see you folks. So yeah, I pulled the big league move, kind of a dick in hindsight. <laughs> Whereas you got me, who's like, Yep. Hey, you're on the team. Uh, you need to be ready basically at a moment's notice. And in a future episode, we'll go into the ep- uh, we'll go into the story that actually happened playing at Johnson County when Nick Biancolana th- thinks he blows out his elbow. I show up in gym shorts thinking, I, hey, they finally told me I might pitch game two. And they're like looking around, the looking around and they're like, oh, shit, we don't have anybody. All right. Hey, uh, Zemo, Zemo, you're in, dude. You're in. And I'm, I had to warm up stretching my legs, arms, everything in the middle of the field. Cause they were like, yeah, you can't even go out to the bullpen. You can't go to the outfield to play long toss. You are going to play long toss 
from the infield in front of the coaches. So anyways, that's a little bit about me and Brock. Uh, Brock, give me the, give me the real quick rundown. How's quarantine, man? Dude, mind numbing. I'm sure everybody out there can agree. Um, this is an un- unprecedented time where I'm really um, getting to know the details of my walls, just like staring at them endlessly. Um, I'm almost about to get back into like a 13 year old's mentality of like hopping on Call of Duty eight hours a day, stocked up on Mountain Dew. Like I'm reverting back to my childhood. That's it might force me to do that. I know. I dude, I have this exact picture in my head of doing that in Dave McCoy's basement with like no lights on stretched. You have two adolescents stretched across like three couches just as as awkwardly apart there's like gummy bears popcorn somewhere it smells weird munching it smells it. weird in that basement and there's a couple holes in the wall from just controllers being whipped of course yeah. honestly that yeah. might have been the pinnacle of existence so maybe this whole quarantine thing reverting back to being a 13 year old who knows i might find like that fountain of youth there's some story out there or, or saying that it's like kids are the wisest and maybe this kicks everybody back to that. Or you just really find that you have an appreciation for that one bar that you really didn't realize you had that much of a heart on for. And now when things back open up, you're back in there, baby. Dude, those first like non-virtual beers, like we're having a virtual beer right now. The first non-virtual beer, whew, you know, that's going to be good. You know, that's going to be good. Hey. It'll hit different. It'll hit different. All right, man. Let's dive into a little bit about who Brock Newhouse is. So give me the rundown. Growing up, Eastern Iowa, the rundown of AAU ball. You don't have to spend too much time there. And then get into a little bit about high school, the prospect stuff, because I could be wrong here, but I remember at one point Brock Newhouse was like, he was like the top dog. And Mitch Keller on the east side of the state. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, okay. So Mitch Keller, one of those dudes ended up ended up in the bigs. And uh, another one of those dudes is having a conversation. You know, the first guest on a podcast with his junior college teammate. You know, not Cheers. saying one's better than the other, but, you know. <laughs> if that's what I was hyped to be, it was a quick fall from grace, my man. But, yeah. So, uh, as Zima was saying, um, born and raised on the east side of the state, the Quad Cities. Uh, Pleasant Valley High School grad. Um, you know, I always felt like a little bit of a connection with Zemo as far as our backgrounds. Um, I'd say kind of like Bettendorf, Iowa um, has a parallel with Ankeny, Iowa. Uh, a lot of similarities, like classic Midwestern suburb. Nothing really super compelling going on, but, you know, not a bad place to grow up. Um, but yeah, so as far as the baseball piece goes, um, as Zemo was saying, um, got hooked up with Perfect Game. Um, I guess I strung a couple of those days together where it was your best day and you fooled some people. Um, ended up netting myself a few D1 offers and went to Kansas State straight out of high school. So what other schools were you considering at that point other than K-State? Because at that point, K-State was like nice. Dude, they were like dangling that pocket watch in front of my eyes. Like they were like an out away from the College World Series, like the year before they recruited me. So 
<laughs> you know, like as a 17 year old, you're not doing your research on these programs. You're just like, yo, dude, six months ago, I saw these guys on ESPN. That's definitely going to be me. <laughs> you know, like, uh, you know, it was like the career year in program history that they were just coming off of. Um, but yeah, obviously as a 17 year old, like the hype was real there. Um, at the end of the day, it kind of boiled down to either Kansas state or Iowa, um, the hometown school. Um, I'm a diehard Hawkeye fan. Um, but that whole like playing on ESPN thing totally, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I wasn't that hardcore of a Hawkeye fan. So pulled the trigger on Kansas state. Um, but yeah, it kind of boiled down to the Hawks and Kansas state for sure. Yep. And so those, I remember all this kind of going down and I'm remembering it from a distance at that point or taking it in from a distance. Cause we're not, we're not homeboys at that point, but um, there was a little bit, I know of times with the yips, um, some tough family stuff going on. Give people a look into as best as you can what it looks like or feels like to have the yips. Cause nobody, I don't think if you're outside of baseball or if you're not inside baseball, it's hard to compare it. Maybe, maybe if you're out on the course playing golf and you have like that one weird swing and you're like, damn, I just can't get back to it. Yeah. I mean, it's the damnedest phenomenon. Like I remember when I was going through it, like trying to explain it to people who weren't in baseball or like golf or, you know, just the sports world where that term might be familiar. Like I just, so struggled with the words to sum it up because it's such like an inexplicable thing. Um, my personal experience with it, um, as Zemo kind of referenced, I did have um, some kind of stuff, hard stuff happened in my personal life. Um, lost my mom to cancer when I was 17. Um, so shortly before I really started to get to know Zemo. Um, and as a 17 year old, you know, I was woefully inequipped to deal with something of that magnitude. Uh, my coping mechanisms weren't very healthy. Um, my perception on the whole thing was pretty skewed. And uh, the way I coped really was I threw myself into baseball because that's something that I was really good at. And when I was playing baseball, it felt like that escape. Um, but eventually, I'll never forget signing day. You know, I'm signing to go to Kansas State. Uh, this is something I worked my whole life for. Um, that a lot of people dream of and never attain, you know, it should be like a, a great day for me, a feeling of accomplishment. And I'll never forget like how empty I felt like up on that stage signing that letter because this stuff had happened in my personal life and I'd invested so much in baseball to try to like compensate. And then I'm there and I've accomplished this and I felt so empty, like just completely empty, not to bring the podcast listeners down, but that was the feeling. Um, and then from there, um, I developed this kind of perfectionist attitude about playing baseball, um, that nothing besides perfection was good enough, um, which is really where the yips started. I remember um, playing in a spring league game, struck out five out of six guys, was dealing. You know, it, it was a good performance. And I was so disappointed that I only struck out five guys. It wasn't good enough. Um so as far as when the yips started happening, it was before the senior year, uh, my senior season. And um, so basically I would compare it to for non-athletes when you walk, it's not like a conscious thought, you know what I mean? 
it's just what you do. You put your right foot in front of your left. You're not thinking about it. You're just walking. For people like me and Zemo, who've been playing baseball our whole lives, um, throwing a baseball is a whole lot like walking. And I developed such a perfectionist mindset that I was analyzing an act that was the most natural thing in the world to me. And basically what started happening was I would be airmailing balls 15 feet over people's head, spiking a baseball 10 feet in front of me. And then just obviously the embarrassment of that, like is, is huge. And then there's the expectation of, Oh, this is people perceive you as, as Zemo said, Brock Newhouse, one of the best kids on the Eastern side of the state, X, Y, Z. So then I have to feel like I, I have to live up to that and I can't even play a game of catch. Um, so I go off to Kansas state and proceed um, to on a daily basis, have to embarrass myself, basically <laughs> go out there, air mail balls all over the place. It was a wreck to say the least, but um, very inexplicable phenomenon. Um, but it's something that does happen in baseball. I know. Tiger Woods dealt with it in golf, like driving balls off the tee. It does happen, and it was pretty weird. <laughs> it it really is, and it's like it's some guys get it, and it's full-blown. Um, some guys get it, and it's just like, oh, like maybe it's throwing one pitch. Maybe it's just like in a setting. Like sometimes catchers literally throwing back from, you know, behind the plate to a guy on the mound. Not even just out, you know, they could go play catch in the outfield, but it's, it's like these certain settings, uh, super trippy. And I don't know, I'm not seeing anybody on the podcast or listening to this and thinking, man, that's, I've had that. But you've probably had a little bit of something where you, it, you just, what should be very natural and easy is not, and you don't know why. And it, the more you think about it, the more it's going to, and, you know, people, like you said, they do have that, like, I, I don't know what the task is, but let's say, let's equate this to baseball again. You have one throw where you airmail it over somebody's head. For most people, they're just able to flush that and be like, uh, you know, that was weird. It was, but they don't think about it. They don't analyze it. The yips come on, like when you airmail it, and then you make that out to be like the biggest issue in the world. And then it becomes that, like, it's a very self-fulfilling prophecy. Yep. Yep. All right. So Yips, Yips take you through high school, get down to K-State. What's it like going to outside of baseball? Cause we've, we've talked about that. The coach at the time, I think he's still with the program. Uh, maybe he's not, but he's super sucked. Um, what's it like going to K-State as an athlete? Like you're a D1 athlete. Just give me the, give me the, like the college life. Uh, everything that goes into just being like you are now a D1 athlete. I never got there. I didn't sniff it, dude. <laughs> dude, honestly, uh, especially as a baseball player, um, the perception of like the life of a D1 athlete and the reality, I would say are like two vastly different things. Um, you know, I'm not the starting point guard on the basketball team. I'm not the quarterback of the football team. Like, those are your money sports. That's where the visibility is. Like, no one's like, oh, no one's at the bar. It's like, oh, shit, dude. There's the backup second baseman for the baseball team. What? <laughs> yeah, the, the bar does not go crazy for the backup second baseman. But you're still sinking in that same type of um, time commitment 
uh, coupled with schooling that the starting quarterback is or the starting point guard is like that intensity level is exactly the same uh but the perks probably not there i remember we did get like nike christmas though you know like back in the day all the athletes used to post like oh you know nike hooked us up with all the gear i felt pretty big time when that happened um but honestly that's the pinnacle so (laughs) it it was not what it was hyped to be What's the coolest thing you got out of that? Um, like gear wise. Yeah, yeah, gear wise, like backpack wise. You they did give me a nice Nike fleece pullover that I still rock to this day, just because it's super comfy. Um, but dude, it no, like the whole like D one hype thing was. <laughs> yeah, I showed up and I was like, yeah. Big man on campus, D1 athlete, no. <laughs> no, dude, no one gives a shit. <laughs> That's funny, man. So you you decide you're going to say fuck it to K-State, and you start – what is your thought process after you leave? You're like, all right, first, first check is I hate this. I want out. Like, I'm not comfortable. I already – I got the yips. Like, all, all sorts of shit is not right. So you hit that stage. What causes you to think, hmm, Kirkwood, with those those Juco bandits is where I'm going next? Yeah, dude. Honestly, like, it was one of those things that, like, it felt like the natural move just because, like, Cedar Rapids is, like, hour 20 down the road. Um, Jason Belk, who is our pitching coach, I knew from way back in the day, so we had some history there. And um, I knew some of you wildcats um that were on the team so I was like that might be a easy transition um but yeah so then started the journey of Kirkwood Community College which to anyone who's ever experienced junior college athletics dude (laughs) bizarro world strange like this coronavirus thing like if there's any people who have immunity to the coronavirus it is junior college athletes because they've lived in the muck my friends the absolute muck you er, could not be more right in that junior college is, in one experience, the greatest thing ever. At the same time, you don't know what you don't know. Like, you come in, you're a freshman, you're going into Juco, you're playing two years and getting re-recruited out of there. Right. Not everybody is like a, a kickback or whatever from D1 or, or like another level. So you all you know is college is looks like this. Yeah. And that's the Juco way. And so you get these dudes coming in and it's just the greatest thing ever. We'll try and illustrate it a little bit with this, but tell me about living. You come in. So you just, you just played for um, uh, call it six months at K-State living that. And you come back and you are now living in village East 674 B with Cody Williams, K Willie, Two randos. What's that like? And, and just meeting this cast of characters that we had. Right. Dude, um, talk about a culture shock, you know? Uh, you go from, like I was saying, that Division One atmosphere where although there was no glitz and glamour involved, like I said, the time commitment's crazy, the intensity's crazy. Like, it's, it's, it's like a, it's a job. It's no longer a sport. It's a job. And then you come here to Kirkwood and, uh, you know... <laughs> I think conditioning consisted of like who can run through a 30 rack the quickest and uh, 
take the biggest rips off of any type of paraphernalia that is available. Um, <laughs> so it was a hop, skip, and a jump from the first six months. Um, yeah, I was I was living with Kay Willie, who who was a good time, uh, a, a good homie to live with. Um, and I think Fitz was in my room originally too. Um, but this the crazy thing about um, the junior college experience, especially at Kirkwood, and we might touch on this moving forward, uh, was we were all living in the same apartment building and like locked doors kind of like weren't a policy. So it's not like you were living with like three other dudes. It was like you were living with 30 other dudes who are equally as like messy and like demented and like just strange, you know, just as strange as you. Um, <laughs> so, you know, y- you can't escape it. There, there was no getting away from it, which is both a good and a bad thing. What Brock's talking about is one brick building with 12 apartments, three floors of four apartments each, and each apartment has four guys in it. So there's a total of, what is that, 48 residents? That's good math. That's that college degree coming in handy. At least 36 of those residents are baseball players. So it's like a dorm just for baseball guys with no rules, cheaper, and you have a kitchen. <laughs> like you're living in your own building, dude. This thing is, it was the greatest experience because of just anything went. We had a lot of dumbass shit happen. And most of that happens our sophomore year. True. You and I, let's see here. I think we were supposed to live together, or maybe you took my spot. Oh, no. I was supposed to live with Clem, Colton, Pass. And I'm like, bruh, I cannot do it. So I'm like, I'm going to go live with my my Xavier boys, people with some principles, cleanliness. <laughs> and I'm going to go live with them. And Brock slides in. We're all, you know, it's like we live right next to each other. It's not like anything where you're not going to see everybody just as much because, again, doors, we're not locking them. But you do have to deal with. That's what you wake up to. That, like, I, you deal I, with, I woke up. Zemo, Zemo, dude, Zemo fucked me. Let's, let's be real. Zemo fucked me here. I, I love my roommates. They were, they were fun guys. Um, love all three of them. Bizarre. Like, if living with 36 other dudes in this apartment was bizarre, like the apartment complex, living with these three guys in one apartment took it to a whole nother stratosphere. Um, so Zemo had the wisdom and foresight to be like, yo, like I can like venture into this area when I want to, but I don't want to lay my head in this area. Um, you know, he was just one step ahead of me and I was, I was dumb enough to be like, yeah, sure. Let's do it, man. It'll be fun. Crazy. Give me your best story of living with Clem and, and Clem and the Kirkwood boys will be probably the only people that know what kind of a creature this is and how when I talk about Clem how I break it down is I say he his two role models because I think you 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 try and fashion yourself off your role models his two role models are Snoop Dogg and Riff Raff give me your best Clem story well first off if that doesn't give you a beautiful image like I don't know what will and he had the body of Snoop Dogg as well just a long gangly dude uh and he was very, uh, very much into the Snoop Dogg pursuits. 
shall we say. Am I right? Very much so. He was a big, big fan of the same. There's a there's a lot of great stories I could say about Clem, um, but I think the best would be to just give you a short little like vignette, like a little a little look see into some of the maybe not more outrageous things, but just like an everyday existence. Um, I, I walk I walk out of my bedroom one of the first nights I'm there. Um, room is dark except for the soft glow of a TV in a corner. And there is just Clem in a folding chair, nonetheless, not like any type of actual proper furniture, you know, like a folding chair and not even a nice folding chair, like something that you found in your grandma's like garage from like the 1960s. Like it's about to break. He's sitting there in this chair, the glow just kind of like filling the room. There's a, there's a cloud of smoke over his head, a 30 rack plop next to him. And it's like two in the morning and there's like no one else there. You know, it's not like the party is going on. It, this was just like casual. Like this is just like, what's up? Yeah, it's 2 a.m. on a Tuesday. So what, man? We're living. I mean, it was beautiful, man. And he, he was just flowing. He, he had that vibe going. And he's one of my favorite dudes ever. He's going to be the mayor of Dubuque, Iowa. Someday his third eye is open. He's going to give out free Hawkeye vodka and 30 racks to everyone who votes for him. Oh, debut. Oh, debut. Dubs, baby. Yeah. All right. So Colton, I would say of those three guys, is, is the most normal. Now, Colton's got his own thing, too, because he, he found his way into little devil's lettuce that may have caused him to be a creature at time or two. Clem is his own thing. I mean, it's, how do you – I mean, I gave you the description of his two mentors and, and that's not even counting. Like he also is, I think, I don't know which one of them is, is his favorite, but he's a huge WWE fan is to just throw another round on it. Then you live with Luke Hassman. And I told, I was texting him this week and I told him, I said, buddy, your name's going to come up on this podcast. And what's funny is that whereas Clem only, only, Kirkwood listeners are going to know who he is. Central Iowa has a as a if those people are listening to this, we'll... the Has the Hasman name has some weight in Central Iowa, baby. What is it like to live with Luke Hasman? And again, give me your best Hass story. Okay, well, first off, you just got to stay aware with Hass. You know, Hass is you know he's six five two thirty. And knows how to handle that weight. Actually, I scratched that. He doesn't know how to handle that weight. He is fully unaware that he is six foot five, two hundred thirty pounds. He doesn't. He doesn't get it. I don't think. He is the opposite of the small dog that thinks he's a big dog. So, like, you got that little dog that's like bark, 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 wants to get in every fight. Hass is the lap dog or the big ass dog that thinks he's a lap dog. Yeah, he's a great Dane. He's a great Dane man. He's got the big feet. <laughs> he doesn't realize it though. So you just always had to be aware um, because uh, uh, <laughs> all the roommates like to have a good time. Um, so Hass could get to stumbling sometimes and you just got to be prepared that, you know, you might be chilling, but some other people aren't. Some other, some other people are six foot five, 230 pounds, and they might be falling in your lap at any given time. Um, I did watch Luke Hassman. Um, a good one for him to just kind of summed up uh, the experience. 
um, make a bowl of soup one time, um, which was the extent of the cooking. Um, made a bowl of soup, proceeded to eat half of that bowl of soup, place it on the floor next to him, and walk away. <laughs> Just walked away. And that bowl of soup sat there in our living room for a good four days. Just made soup, ate half of it, set it down, walked away. There it is. Uh, one time, one time, Hass uh, uh, had a little too much fun, ended up with some puke on a mattress, um, and then was panicked as to what to do with the mattress. Uh, he, it, it, was, it, was a, it was a mystery to him. What do I do now? It's ruined, right? And we just said, dude, just throw it off the balcony and someone will come get it. And he said, okay. Gets the mattress, throws it off the balcony with no plans to get another mattress or anything like that. It was just the mattress is gone. Beautiful. A master class of a move if I've ever seen one. But the mattress came back because remember he threw it over the he threw it over the railing and then realized he had nothing to sleep on and had to go get it and bring it back and just slept on the other side. Right. Which I mean <laughs> to us was like pretty clear that it's like, dude, you just puked on your mattress, like you're gonna have to deal with the consequences of that, but you do have to have a mattress, don't you, Hass? So, you know, hey, it, it went off the balcony, it came back up. At the end of the day, the mattress is in the room, right, Zemo? He had somewhere to put his head that night. Give me your uh, perfect transition here. Give me your um, give me your Mount Rushmore, your top four. You know, they're across, and you can see their faces. Mount Rushmore of your weirdest teammates. Yeah. Um, I say a couple of these with uh, – we're going to use the word weird, but I, I say that in an endearing way completely. Oh, we love them. We love them. They're not like bad people by any means. You just have to, you have to call it what it is. You're a, a freaking weirdo. Which makes you more compelling, honestly. You know, you're not a stick in the mud. So here we go. Number one weirdo that I played with at Kirkwood would be Torin Shahidi. Um, another, uh, <laughs> another central Iowa name that some of the listeners might be familiar with. Um, my first interaction with Torin Shahidi uh, was at a perfect game again. It was our uh, it was our junior year. Um, we were playing a game in Iowa City, and Torn was catching me. And you know, um, this is the first time of venturing out into perfect game. You know, there's this like aura and prestige around perfect game that this is where you got to ball out to to go places in the baseball world. Um, so like, I'm kind of nervous. Like, it's my first time I'm around all these dudes that I don't know and trying to prove myself. And and I go out there and. Uh, I'm going to brush my shoulders off real quick. I balled the fuck out. Like, I threw the shit out of it. I was feeling good. I'm throwing in Iowa City at the University of Iowa. I'm like, hell yeah, dude. I fucking nailed it. <laughs> I don't know Torin whatsoever. Um, but Torin comes up to me in the dugout and says, hey, you never shake me off, okay? You hear that? Never shake me off. Not a hey, what's up? I'm Torin, anything like that. Just don't shake me off. Um He's notorious for like running around the outfield shagging baseballs and he would just like wear it off of his chest, like on the fly. Um, it was just like the perfect embodiment of like a macho spirit that uh, is rampant in the college athletic world. It was like, why, why are you even doing that? Like, what did that prove besides you have a bunch of bruises on your chest, man? Like, do you want a cookie for that? But I mean, hey, he's, he's a crazy dude, weirdo. Um, number two, should we go to number two? Yep. 
Um, I'm going with Clem, man. Clem is number two. Maybe Clem should be number one, honestly. Like, Torn, I spoke too soon. Clem, bump him up. Clem, Clem is number one. Yeah, Clem's, Clem's number one. We already got into Clem. Uh, <laughs> you know, he's he strode to the mound with the swagger in his step with um, the next episode by Snoop Dogg blaring. Yeah, yeah, to like four 55-year-old Midwestern parents in the stands. But he was feeling himself, though. And it was the edited version. And, and it's not that he's just like walking out to the mound. He's like bouncing, and then he gets to the – Gets to the line and he does a little like little shoulder shimmy shake, and then like you know like karaoke footsteps like you know behind and front. He does like a little little hop, little skip jog over the line, twist, pick the ball up, ready to go. JUCO superstar, if we've ever seen one, folks. I mean, just swagger through the roof. It could be a crowd of zero. It could be a crowd of fifty thousand. The swagger was there. If anyone has seen Eastbound and Down, um, you know, there's a there's an analog for a character there for sure. Um, yep. Then I'd number say three. N- number three, uh, Jay Campbell out of uh, Davenport Assumption. Uh, the Jaybird, the Jaybird was notorious for, um, you know, uh, just coming in with some right field comments. Uh, he was like a ghost, you know, he would be there and then he'd disappear. And it was like, was Jay here or was he not here? What did he say? What did he mean by that? You know, great wild card character. Um, number four. And, yep. And, wait, wait, wait. He, and reappears at 2 a.m. with five pounds of fettuccine chicken Alfredo to feed the boys, and then he's got brown sugar Pop-Tarts. You cannot understate the, that. That was, that was the best part. That was the best part. Yep. Know, like Some people yep. have their kink, you know what I mean? Like, they have their kink. Jay Campbell's kink was seeing people messed up and cooking food for them. And, you know, I certainly took advantage of that. I don't know where that comes from. I was cool with it. But, yeah, um, you know, interesting move. Never seen that one pulled out before. All-time appreciation for it. Yep, number four. Number four, okay. Um, I'm amending kind of Zemo's um, directive here. Uh, I'm going to go with a coach and not a teammate. Because they're close. I'm going to go with Chuck Nasty. Chuck Lukanen. You know, of all these weird Juco renegades, the person in our dugout who was most likely to engage in a benches clearing brawl was our pitching coach. I guarantee it. He, he was the first one to drop the gloves. Let's give a quick rundown on Chuck Deasy. He came in was our coach after Belk uh, decided to move because he was getting married. We love Beck, Belk. Shout out Belk. All of the Belks, actually. So he comes in. He's our coach. Not only does he coach, he deals drugs. He lives with guys. He deals steroids. He has sexual relations with a volleyball girl, not to be named, and serves a uh, and if if um, you were trying to get in touch with him over winter break, you might have had troubles, as most of us did, because he was serving a suspended DUI sentence for 30 days in Minnesota. 
only to be found out after. And we were like, man, we really can't get in touch. So yes, yes, that that rounds out. I'm completely fine with you throwing him as number four, Mount Rushmore. That's fine with me. Yep, absolutely. Kirkwood, great years. The guys down at Maryville are going to laugh at me, but man, this is good shit. Um, all right, so we then we wrap up our sophomore year. We don't even baseball wise, it's all good. Like we don't we don't move on from you know conference tournament or anything. No big deal. We just had a blast. Um, so sh- shitty ending. And and pitching wise, we don't have to go back into it. Yips pull come back. They rear their head again, and and you're like, man, baseball. I'm done with this shit. I'm done. Um, and you decide to then move out to San Francisco and work out with your uncle at his business. Give us a little bit of a insight into a guy from Bettendorf going out to the West coast, living there and uh, what that's like. Yeah. I mean, it was a completely different experience um, from what I was used to. Um, Obviously the Midwestern suburbs um, pretty homogenized, uh, you know, um, as far as like a, a cultural touchstone, the suburbs are not in the Midwest, San Francisco, very different from that. Um, so it was super cool to get out into an area where there was a lot of unique stuff going on. Um, my uncle who I ended up working for while I was out there, um, he's kind of like an architectural designer, former art school grad. Um, so definitely a different personality than, you'd usually find around the Midwest um, and had a lot of really cool connections. Um, so we were doing business in San Francisco, LA, Seattle. Um, actually took a pretty cool road trip on the way out, which was maybe a highlight even more than living in San Francisco. Um, but yeah, like it was just a complete culture shock, like in the best of ways. Oh, all right. You're out there, West Coast, living uncle's basement. Few, what are the few spots around San Francisco for people? Because I don't, I don't know that a lot of people have been out to San Francisco. Like, it's it's kind of expensive, but it's got a good rep. Uh, if you were going to travel out there, a couple places around San Fran, you got to hit for sure. Um, for anyone who's like an outdoorsy person, um, you wouldn't expect like San Francisco to have a lot to offer um, in that respect. But the opposite, like. Like it's the total opposite. Um, one of my favorite places out there, it's called the Muir Woods, which literally you just um, head north on the Golden Gate Bridge in like, I don't know, 15 minutes, you're like in this redwood grove, just gorgeous ancient redwood grove. Um, super cool. Highly recommend it um, if you're into the outdoors stuff. As far as the city itself, um, as with like any big city, there's plenty of stuff that... Um, it like caters to the tourists, which like is not very compelling whatsoever. Um, one of my favorite places uh, was the Haight-Ashbury district, um, which is kind of where like the 1960s, like hippie flower child revolution kind of began. And it certainly has um, maintained those roots uh, in a lot of ways. Um, so there's a lot of interesting, interesting stuff going on there. Uh, the Tenderloin district as well, bunch of cool bars. Um, honestly, you can't go wrong in the Bay area though. Um, obviously you got Oakland right next door, uh, Berkeley, like if you want to get your, uh, college vibe on, like there's just so many options. Like you drive 
30 minutes north of the Golden Gate Bridge, you're in wine country. Um, so you got that aspect of well. Uh, you know, can't go wrong up there for sure. Nice, nice. I There is a chance, anyway, there's a chance that I might be going out there this summer. TBD, we're not going to go too much into my traveling. But all right, so you, you're out in San Francisco. You do that, go to some real places. You decide, you know what? I will go back to college. I know what I want to do because as a smart citizen of America, you decide I'm not going to pay to go to college unless I know what I want to do, right? So I'm not going to go to college just to pay for, you know, pay a, a hefty buck to get a degree that I don't have any business using, nor do I want to. I just am going to college because that's what they're telling me I should do, right? Like that's, that's kind of what America says is like when you graduate, you go do four years. You get through the four years in four years, even if you take an extra semester, unless you had some great excuse or, you know, what, what the hell were you doing? Um, so it's cool, man. And then you decide to come back to Iowa. You go to University of Iowa and you major in history, the booming market out there for history degrees. Yeah, I know how to pick them for sure. <laughs> and then you, for all the Iowa listeners, you live. And people could probably walk by your apartment and tap on the window. And because you lived at the corner of which street? Burlington and Gilbert. Uh, for all the Iowa City homies, like literally diagonally across the street from Cactus. Um, so, yeah, a lot of heavy foot traffic, super close to the Ped Mall. Uh, good times for sure. In a one bedroom apartment, having the time of his life. Slumming it, man. Straight and, slumming it. Yep. And then we get through school, graduate, and you decide, hold up, going to law school. Walk us through that decision. Right, yeah. If, if there's any Kirkwood uh, ex-teammates ex listening, um, the irony of that is not lost on me, um, for sure. Uh, I don't think a lot of people would have predicted that. Um, but yeah, that was one of those things where... Um, uh, you know, with a history undergrad, um, it, it kind of sets the base well for a lot of the things that you're going to do in law school. Um, always been a big fan of the underdog. And with a law degree, uh, there's, you know, an opportunity to make an impact in some areas um, that I'm passionate about. So yeah, that that is the game plan as of right now. I took my LSAT in October, um, literally like I was in the test. And it was one of those things that like I read the first few questions and sometimes like you read something and you read the words, but you did not process like anything that just went into your head. That's totally what happened. Like right, right off the get go. So I'm thinking I bombed the hell out of this thing. Um, ended up turning out pretty well. So yeah, that's, that's where I'm going to be back, back with my head in the books for the next three years coming this fall. Cool. Where's uh where's a couple of places you're looking? We kind of talked about this. There's an opportunity for maybe going back to the dream school, but um, give us a rundown on what that might look like. Where where is Brock Newhouse come uh, fall of 2020, spring of 2021? Yeah, um, well I'm hoping Iowa City um, got admitted uh, to Iowa's law school, which is a you know it's a damn good program. Um, just kind of waiting on scholarship money to see if it's going to be a financially feasible thing to do. Um, but if not Iowa, um, the two that are at the top of my list are University of Oregon, so it could be out on the West Coast again, or University of Kansas. Uh, go down there and rock chalk it a little bit. So um, we'll see how it shakes out. 
Yeah, the Iowa State fans loving that. I would uh, I would highly vote to go out and be a duck, man. I uh, I spent some time out in Portland this o- last October, and uh, absolutely love Portland. But uh, enough about me. What are you doing these days? What's uh, give us give me the rundown? I we've talked through this a little bit. Um, you spent some time on a UPS loading dock. Is that right? <laughs> some time I would like to delete from my memory. That's for sure. Yeah, it was. Um, I was doing like shift supervising and it's like the most blue collar, like, I mean, it's a, it's a logistics factory, like dirty, grimy. Um, and yeah, it was a drag. Like there's nothing like interesting to report about that for sure. Um, yeah, that's one of those you say, wow, I grinded for like six months and got through that part of my life and I'm not going to look back at it. (laughs) Bro, I... I can't even imagine what it's like there for six months. I did the, and I think there's probably a decent amount of people out there that have done this, but uh, the seasonal help for UPS where you just, you know, Christmas time, they got all the packages for Christmas going up and you got to go and all you do is just run through the, you just run through the snow, man. And you just run them up there. That's two weeks. And I, I mean, like, you know, for what else are you going to do? What are they going to pay you over winter break? What other company is going to hire you for two to four weeks and and be not mad when you say, I'm done? UPS, the only thing. So you hire, you get paid. But it is the shittiest work, man. It's absolute worst. So I commend you for doing it for six months. I know you weren't running packages, but the loading dock can't be that much more fun. But I love it that you got all the way to supervisor, baby. Hell yeah, dude. UPS superstar. <laughs> All right. So, Brock, is there any details you would want to round out on your career or f- leave as a lasting impact to our podcast listeners? Um, all I can say, it's all ups from here for this podcast. Zemo is going to get the production value dialed in. He's going to get way more interesting guests. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> all on the ups. Let's run through the rapid fire segment. We've had some fans. And when I say fans, I do not mean that they are actual fanatics. These are just people that happen to or to uh, follow me on Instagram and uh, a couple replies to the story. Um, but uh, those we got a couple of those in here, but um, we're going to run through these and uh, should be worth a laugh. All right. Coolest place you've had a beer. Mm, I'm going to go Ernie's Tin Bar, Petaluma, California. Okay. Okay. Favorite beer right now? You said it at the top of the broadcast. The Easy Eddie from Big Grove Brewery, Iowa City, is pretty good stuff. Uh, If anyone has an opportunity to drink some Modern Times, it's a brewery out of San Diego. Uh, Their stuff's really tight as well. Worst beer. Everybody's got one. Um, This actually goes back to the Kirkwood days. Clem wanted Rolling Rock, and I had you get him Heineken because the bottles looked similar, and Heineken tastes like dog piss. Wow, that's harsh. That's harsh. What do you got? What do you got for music on repeat right now? All right, right now, you know this question's right up my alley. Um, I'll shoot you a couple uh, right now. Parquet Courts, post punk band out of New York City, kicking out amazing stuff. Um, to give you kind of the sports analogy, Parquet Courts is like, I'd compare him to that skinny sophomore in high school 
um, who you know has a bunch of potential on the mound. Like you see the potential there, it's oozing. But they're a skinny sophomore, man. Like they're not at their peak. They spend the winter in the gym. They hone their mechanics. They come back the next year and they're a stud. That is what Parquet Courts is as a band. Um, they have a new album called Wide Awake. Or really, it's not even new. It came out in 2018, but it is super tight. Um, you can see the growth in their discography. Uh, Parquet Courts is killing it. Love it. So I had on here the last time you cut your hair because you're a d- dirty old hippie. Shout out, Gordo. Shout out, Gordo. Uh, but it it looks like you've got a cut. What are we? What are we rocking? When was when was this cut made? Oh man, this cut was made <laughs> before I got my new job, and I was like, eh, I gotta look presentable now. <laughs> so like like three or four months ago, the the shoulder length hair went away for good, and now I'm a presentable person that my dad will claim as his son. Wow, wow, <sighs> weird one. Do you wipe front to back? Or back to front. Uh, can we go both? Is that is that a legit option? I, I, we, I start back to front, but then like you, you got to bring it all the way around town. <laughs> Questions that the people are dying to know. Hard hitters. Favorite travel location? I'm going to go Marfa, Texas. I hit on my road trip out to California. Um, it's this hole-in-the-wall town in West Texas. West Texas desert. Um, basically this artist in the 1970s named Donald Judd, he's like a minimalist sculptor, um, wanted to find a place to just do these huge art installations. So he's like, sure, let's like go out in the desert and basically buy out this town. Um, now it's kind of become this like hub, like this artistic hub, like a bunch of movies have been filmed out there. Like there will be blood, no country for old man. Um, filmed the West Texas desert. It's really close to a national park called Big Bend National Park, um, which was sick. Uh, Marfa, Texas is definitely one of those places that's under the radar and is just like a really unique little spot. Dope, dope. How many Smirnoff ices? This is a this is a viewer's question. How many Smirnoff ices could you nail in five minutes? Dude, am I lame if I don't even like have a frame of reference for that? Like, what if I've never like crushed Smirnoff ices? You've never got iced? I mean, like, yeah, but that's just like one. How many? If I just stood there with a six pack, a twelve pack, how many do you think you can nail in five? How minutes? many could you do? Before my gut would explode, I think I get. Uh, I think I get a six pack down. Okay, I could. I'd throw up okay, I could, for sure. I could do seven. That's harsh. <laughs> that's harsh. What is the fattest thing that you have done over quarantine? Fattest thing, like physically? Yeah, no, no, no. You just being a fatty, like, you know, just munch. What is it? Okay. Um, so, like, I didn't eat anything all day. Like, I was, I'm kind of reverting back to, like, the college diet where I wake up, I don't eat breakfast. I, I don't eat lunch because lunch is for fools. It's a myth. You don't need lunch. All you, All you viewers out there. Don't need lunch. I'm just kidding. Um, and then I just like ate ice cream for dinner and that was it. And that's what I ate for 24 hours. Some Whitey's ice cream moose tracks. Do you guys have Whitey's in the morning? Wow. Nah, dog. That's an Eastern, Dude, Iowa, Eastern Iowa yeah, thing. Yeah. All you Central Iowa people need to get out to the Quad Cities, try Whitey's. I just like went in a spoon, like didn't even put it in a bowl. Just like dug right into the container. 
feeling very proud of That's myself. It. I'm a very sophisticated 24-year-old for sure. Final question, and this will be a regular question for those viewers in the future. You can chill on the back patio. Keep in mind, this is patio cheers that you are on today. You can chill on the back patio with three people to have a few beers, maybe a little bud, with, give me the names, three people, past, present, living, dead, go. Okay. John Lennon, Paul McCartney, Yoko Ono, and I will get to the bottom of who really broke up the Beatles. Wow. We'll, we'll see. That's we'll a see good answer. Yoko was the one that, that, you know, drove the stake in between the songwriting duo of Lennon and McCartney. That's what I'll get to the bottom of. Wow. I love it. I love it. Brock, that's all I got for you, man. I really appreciate you coming on. I think it's going to be, uh, well, you know what? I hope people love it. If not, I had a great conversation with the man and I, I really do appreciate you coming on. Um, I think, you know, when I go back and play this, I'll get some kicks out of it. Um, some good memories in the old days. Uh, did it, it's crazy to imagine that was, four or five years ago already which is nuts I know, dude. I know we're getting old like i was thinking like 30 doesn't sound like some like weird concept anymore like it's it's like painfully relevant um <laughs> you're as close to 30 as you are high school man put that in perspective for you it's messed up but uh anyways all right folks i really do appreciate anybody tuning in today um it was great to have you know any listeners even if it's just one um i'm not it might just be my girlfriend kylie like, like let's be honest she might be my only listener but anyways i really do think it's gonna be i think it'll be a, a fun listen for people i'm very excited to continue this again if you have any questions uh comments if you have anything you would want in the rapid fire segment if you would potentially want to come on in the future please give me a heads up feel free to be brutally honest because that's the only thing we can improve on um but otherwise had a blast doing this and um, for guest or for episode number two, my guest will be Julian Langford. Julian's an ex teammate of mine from Maryville. Absolute question mark is what I'm going to describe it as absolute question mark from Chicago. Uh, and he is a treat. Some great stories coming up for that and uh, a perspective that uh, very few fall into themselves. Brock, again, man, big thank you, big thank you, and uh, cheers, pal. Cheers, brother.